Hey everyone, it's Sean Horwell and the Never Heard of It podcast. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks and yours. And the hour in this situation is none other than my co-host, Craig Moorhead. Craig Moorhead, say hello and tell us a fun fact about yourself. Uh, I have three right feet. Interesting. Yeah. How do you ever go left? Uh, I try not to. Okay. Well, yeah. To be honest, that must you. make trips pretty long. It does. It does a little bit, but it's worth it. The journey, you know, more than the destination. Yeah, I guess so. Aside from that, although that is a fun fact for sure, you mission accomplished there. Yeah. Uh, how are you, Craig? I'm doing good, Sean. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. You sound a little better than the last time we talked. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm good. almost not coughing through the night at all. That's good. Yeah. A little less sexy, though, this time. It is. Say. I know. It's disappointing. It's like a so. win on the one hand, major loss on the other. Yeah, it is. Well, hey, would you like to tell the people where they can find us if they haven't done so? Absolutely. Uh, you can find us. We have a big website, a huge website. It's like 10 acres of website at neverheardpodcast.com. And from there, you can find us in all our different online iterations. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You can find us in all those places. You can also you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. And, you know, if you listen in one of those places, if you could leave a review of some kind, please do really uh, help people find us. And we don't ever really say this. We just kind of assume it. But if you haven't subscribed yet, you, you're probably going to want to do that. Yeah, totes. If you subscribe to it, you're more likely to listen to it. You're like, oh, yeah, there's this thing. I'll yeah. See what these yahoos have to say this week, you know? We just show up you, uninvited, and you can <laughs> listen to your heart's content. Yeah. It's like the opposite of Dracula, right? Yeah. Or a vampire. Anyway, Craig, did you know that we're talking about a movie called Band of the Hand today? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Is that good? Yeah, that I is like good. I was surprised. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it would have it been really interesting if you had no idea. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about that. It's from 1986. We're going to get all up in it. Do you have anything you would like to tell me about what else you've watched? Yeah, I only watched one other thing because I'm pretty sure we recorded something yesterday. Feels like it. But I watched Crazy Rich Asians. Really? How was that? I've heard varying things, wildly yeah. varying things. It's it's a really interesting case to me because it made a ton of money. The main character, in my estimation has no character okay she is smart and pretty and nice and that's her character and the movie really kicks into gear around the one hour mark and that first hour i'm kind of like it's just watching pretty people have fun and be rich and crazy not really that crazy okay. not but really asian now. definitely right definitely asian okay that i can that i can affirm <laughs> okay no but it really it, it kind of like the the first scene you have Michelle Yao, who is wonderful, and I kind of feel could not be more wasted in this movie until like the very end when she's like, "Oh yeah, she has huge acting chops." But she she in the first scene of this movie, she she uh, she's with her family. She walks in out of the rain into this hotel. It's 1955, and the the people in the hotel are super racist to her. Mm. Like she like she's got a she's got a um, reservation and they're like looking at her and like, Oh, well we're actually all full up. Sorry. You must've made a mistake. You know? And they're just, 
ridiculously racist. So, okay. so what she does is she goes and calls her husband, who then buys the hotel so that she can then give those guys a mean look and walk off to her room. And I like I was just like, I don't like anyone in this scene. I don't like yeah. a single person. This is this is you know what? Money, man. That's how yeah. you win, right? Yeah, that's right. If if anyone gives you any guff, have your husband buy the hotel. Yeah. I like it just I don't know. A lot of it felt very ugly. And then as it goes on, like after the one hour mark, it gets it gets certainly there's much more conflict. So it's okay. a much more interesting movie after that. But yeah, mm-hmm. boy, I was I was very surprised. Would you like to, because I have it right in front of me, would you yeah. like to guess how much money that movie made worldwide? Well, if I'm not mistaken, it's like $260 million. Oh, you're close. 238 238 million, yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. that could still be going globally. I don't know. That might that might not sure. be a final number there. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, we, like I talked about it with my wife, and you know, we definitely talked about how there's certainly a representation thing, which is undeniable. Like, yeah. there is not a movie like this. Nope. Coming out of the Hollywood system, like there is nothing like this. But yeah, it's kind of like it's too bad it wasn't better. Like in a way, yeah. There, there's so much meat there. I mean, the whole thing is like her her boyfriend has not told her that he's super rich from Singapore, and they're gonna go there for a wedding of one of his buddies. Like, there's actually a lot of very rich cultural stuff that we could have dug into, and like family stuff and politics, and what's the difference between being an American and you know what I mean? Yeah. And it just no, like it's just, uh, oof. I don't know. It was not my favorite, but that was the only thing I watched. What about you, Sean? What did you watch? Uh, nothing. So there we go. Oh. Very <laughs> yeah, short not, nothing. Nothing has happened. Yeah. I failed, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Do you think there's, uh, there's got to be headlines out there about the irony of how uh, the people that made crazy rich Asians are now crazy rich Asians, probably? Oh, yeah. That seems like that would be a good title, a good headline. I'm not going to Google it, but I bet it's out no. there. Thirty yeah. million dollar budget. So I mean, that's yeah, a I mean, massive, massive huge. success. Good for them. Good for yeah. them. Like you say, at the end of the day, you want a good movie too. It's yeah. nice when, when nice when those two things happen. But eh, indeed, take what you can get. What are you gonna do? Well, let's talk about Band of the Hand, another movie that made two hundred thirty-eight million dollars. Yeah, uh, I know. Globally, wow, which is crazy that we never heard about this movie. That's but amazing. <laughs> If you didn't listen to the tee up, you should because you'll know absolutely this movie did not make anywhere near that. But what it did make is Waves in Our Hearts today, and we're going to talk about it. It is from 1986, as I mentioned, directed by Paul Michael Glazer, written by Leo Guerin, Jack Baran, stars Stephen Lang, Michael Carmine, Lauren Hawley, you got Lawrence Fishburne in there. Did I say Lawrence? Lawrence, as, as he, that's what he went by in the 80s. Yeah, Lawrence. Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne. I think it's Lawrence or Larry, so Lawrence. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. Uh, one and only John Cameron Mitchell, Danny Quinn, Leon, James Remar, of course, can't not mention him, Paul Calderon, and others that Craig talked about in the tee-up. Mm. This movie is about juvenile lost causes who are reformed by a war veteran using survival tactics. Once they were the problem. This is you. Your criminal past. They gave you to me. Now they are the solution. We cleaned out the park. Next come the streets. Now they're on our side. Let's take the man down. Band of the Hand. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Craig, you put this on my radar. 
I don't know that we talked last time, but where'd you hear about this movie? So I was 11 or 12 years old when Miami Vice hit the airwaves. Mm -hmm. I was very drawn to that show. I think it's still, even looking back now, it's still a pretty good show, especially for the era that it came out in with all the Knight Riders and A-teams and so on. But uh, you saying those aren't good shows? Is oh, that what you're saying? Sean, I would never say that. <laughs> never. Yeah, they're probably not, right? But Miami Vice felt like a more grown-up show. Definitely. I think if only because it tended to not explain itself very mm -hmm. clearly. And there's something I really liked about that. Like most most episodes of Miami Vice, I would be lost. Yeah. Like by the end, I'd be like, wait, who's who's that guy? <laughs> and it's like, no. They mentioned him once in the first scene mm -hmm. and that's it. And you're like, why anyway, is he wearing a jacket if he's going to just pull his sleeves up? Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, there seems like people were very conflicted back then. Mm -hmm. But uh, but uh, point being, the movie came out, and I remember it said, you know, something like that from Michael Mann, producer of Miami Vice. That being what it was, like this was not, this was a movie where I never talked about it with my friends. It was never anything <laughs> like that. Like I was just very interested in it. And, gotcha. so, so we, and so here's the thing. I'm at the beach one year. I'm probably, I'm probably like 12. Mm -hmm. And I'm at this uh, flea market. Maybe you call them a swap meet. There are all these booths set up, right? Yeah. And one of them has just all these tapes, tons of music tapes. And they're all bootleg, as I come to realize later. <laughs> and one of the tapes was Band of the Hand. So I bought that tape because that's the closest I was going to come to see in the movie. Gotcha. And I wore that tape out. I know every song <laughs> on the Band of the Hand soundtrack. Every I word. I that a lot. To Bob yeah. Dylan's song, yeah. And so then anyway, you know, eventually like a year or two later, like it's on TV edited, you know, so I taped that and I just, I watched the hell out of it. Like that's, and that's, that's the thing. It's kind of like in a weird way, I feel like this movie was like, I'm the only one who ever watched it. Like I've yeah. never really talked to anyone about it. I've never heard people really talk about it. So, uh, so that's, that's my history with Band of the Hand. It is strange just to, to carry on this conversation for just a beat longer. Um, that it didn't like make its way into my young boy brain because I do feel like there's a lot here for that demographic yeah. during this era. And certainly thinking about this movie, I couldn't help but think of something like Red Dawn, even though it doesn't have like the same, you know, there's no political overtones or war going on. Right. There is at least street wars going on. Definitely by the end, it's like, okay, here's your group of juveniles, your teens that uh, have been through hell and back and yeah. uh, made it out unscathed mostly. I'm curious why this one really did kind of fall through the cracks, you know? Yeah. But that said, so you watched it again for the umpteenth time. First time you've seen it in a while? Yes. It's okay. been a long while. What did you think this time? Honestly, I was kind of relieved. You know, while, while there are definitely bits that are not that strong, like I was kind of like, well, this is still, this still feels very watchable. Like it wasn't, it wasn't uh, much of a sentimental journey, you know, uh, yeah. to be honest. Like, there wasn't any, like, oh, I'm, I can't wait for this part, you know. Mm -hmm. But, like, every scene that, like, was executed really well, I was like, oh, that's great. And, uh, you know, for anything that was kind of fell under, it was kind of just kind of chuckle at it. But, like, for the most part, yeah, I, I, I think it's a pretty strong little B-movie action thing, you know. Yeah. What about you? I'm with you. I don't really have a clue where my expectations were exactly, but they probably weren't, you know, extremely high. Yeah. But I had a lot of fun with this movie and enjoyed it for for what it is. I mean, I, it, it's certainly ridiculous in a lot of ways. Yeah. But you know, we did that whole series on 1985, and 
is it more ridiculous than Invasion USA? I don't, I don't think so. No, I mean, I, I really don't. So. You know, yeah. as far fetched as as the plot is, at least like the way it's constructed, felt like they didn't take the audience to be complete dummies. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and uh, it sort of just kept its edge throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah, there's a few moments of melodrama for sure, where maybe they're asking a little much of these actors. Yeah, and I would say more there a lot more goofy humor than i remember oh yeah okay like there was a a, a, a fair bit where yeah at some point i was kind of like man i i don't know <laughs> like i don't know exactly how i feel about that but i mean hey again it's it's executed with the enthusiasm yes so it could be a lot worse for sure i don't know i mean maybe maybe we should talk about the soundtrack since you mentioned it yeah I don't know how we overlooked this, or maybe, I mean, I guess it falls on me because I was doing like trivia and stuff. No idea that I've never heard of this Bob Dylan song. Yeah. And it's Bob Dylan and the Heartbreakers, no less, which I think was produced by Tom Petty himself. I'm just like speechless. Like, how the hell does that, how the hell did they get a Bob Dylan song for this movie? I mean, I guess it's got to be Michael Mann, right? Uh, I mean, I I assume it is. I mean, that's, that's, really kind of the answer to most of the questions that are like i mean you know in a weird way how did this movie get made well michael mann was like the king of the hill at the moment you know like if he wanted to do something like this they're like oh sure you you have another story from miami great yeah let's do it so even so yeah how in the world do you say okay you know I'm, i'm the producer of miami vice known for its synth scores and today's hits Mm-hmm. I'm going to get Bob Dylan to do this song. And here's the thing. I think this song is pretty great. It's probably it's the bad. F- yeah. It's probably the first actual Bob Dylan song I ever heard. I wouldn't doubt it if that's yeah your history with this soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, in a weird way, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it doesn't come up that much. Like, it's not, it's not an embarrassing or bad song. Well, I'll say this. I guarantee it's a great answer to a trivia question that you could fool yeah. on all your like highfalutin Bob Dylan wannabe uh, aficionados. <laughs> Ask them about this damn song and see if they know <laughs> what. Oh movie. man, yeah, because yeah. yeah, it was crazy. I mean, and the song is called "Band of the Hand," and he says right. "Band of the Hand" in it. I don't yeah. know. I didn't pay that close of attention. Maybe you can tell me. Are the lyrics about the plot? I mean, the the lyrics are basically about the plot. Like the lyrics. Okay, that's funny. I mean, the lyrics are exactly like. If Band of the Hand was a real thing, there were these like criminals who became a, a force fighting criminals. Right. And then Bob Dylan wrote a song about them. <laughs> this would yeah. be the song. Like like it's not like there was one tall guy. There was you know, it's not like that. <laughs> there was a Latino guy. Right. Like hey. like his the the whole song is, you know, in the voice of the band of the hand. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how they're gonna take down corruption and how you know, this whole world is turning to shit and we got to do something, you know, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Is there like anything, it. remind me, was there anything about uh, Vietnam in the song? I was trying to remember. Yes. I thought there was something or about being soldiers or I don't know. Well, well, it was, and, and it was something, uh, as I remember, it's the, the verse is basically about we're going to stand up the way my uncles did in Vietnam and my grandfather did in World War II. Gotcha. Like it's like it's like that kind of thing. That's okay. really not a bad song. Now I like I like crazy. the guitar uh, lick quite a bit. That's yeah. the main thing there. Okay, 
leaving Bob Dylan aside, we then have to move on to the fact that they've also got a Prince song in this damn movie. And not like just any song. They got Let's Go Crazy in here Mm -hmm. in 1986. Michael Mann, baby. All I could think was, oh, like the music budget just between those two songs. I mean, it had to be astronomical. No doubt about it. I mean, they were definitely paying for it. But I mean, again, I feel like that is... That was the Michael Mann formula at the time, right? Yeah. Because this is supposed to be a TV show originally. Right. So I want to talk um, about that, but yeah. Yeah. So I, so I just feel like like he was definitely... That was in it. Um, Mr. Mr. Song was in it. Take okay. These Broken Wings or something? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And those are not on the on the, on the the tape. Okay. That was my second question. So Let's Go Crazy is yeah. not on the tape? No. Oh, man. No. That, that's the thing. It's Bob Dylan, and then there are all these like smaller, smaller groups, and it goes into the score. Yeah. Uh, but man, some of those songs are really good. They had a, a credit that said additional music from the Reds as, you know, oh, yeah. a band, not the Cincinnati baseball team. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, it could have been the Cincinnati baseball Actually, team. Actually, one in the same. Yeah, that's <laughs> talk about trivia questions. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been nuts. Anyway, I guess let's talk about the actual movie then, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. First off, I don't know. I was also trying to think about this. This is just a little filled with trivia questions here. Can you think of another movie where. You know, you do your opening credits and they show the title and it's like on screen in two different places. Like it just said Band of the Hand on the left side of the screen and Band of the Hand on the right side of the screen. Well, you got to remember back then movie screens were much larger. Oh, okay. So they had to like the left side of the theater wouldn't be able to see (laughs) all the way across. So this movie would probably not make much sense to them then, I think, (laughs) uh, if that's the case. Right. Just an interesting... uh, I don't know. That's like an interesting yeah. design choice, I guess. Absolutely. Band of the hand, band of the hand. Anyway, this movie, one of the things I really liked about it is that it just moves. It moves. Within yeah. f- the first five minutes, we meet a lot of people. You During meet, the credits. Yeah. Yeah. Ruben, played by Michael, Michael Carmine. You got JL, who I didn't realize that was his name, but that's John Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> I just thought right. they call him crazy the whole movie, right? Yeah, that's what I called him in my notes. Okay. So Ruben is your sort of, well, shit. The movie opens like basically in the middle of a street riot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's like, it's crazy. It kind of looked like a back lot a little bit to me, but it's just very stylistic shot. You're moving through it and people are just fighting left and right. And it appears to be two street gangs uh, fronted by Ruben character and the Moss character played by Leon. So basically, you have your African Americans versus your Hispanics, right? Yeah, Latinos, and uh, all hell is breaking loose. I can't remember if that was broken up by the police or not. But as we're sort of meeting them, they're all getting like each one of these characters is getting arrested or apprehended, right? Mm-hmm. So when we get to John Cameron Mitchell, I want to ask you this because. Uh, this one, I, I would just wasn't quite clear. A, okay, like, God, yeah, we're just going to have to post pictures for you guys to imagine what these people look like because <laughs> you can't possibly, you could not draw their clothes if you were drunk <laughs> and just handed a box of crayons to throw at a piece of paper. Like, you would That's not come true. up with this stuff. Uh, but John Cameron Mitchell has hair, like, straight up. Uh, yeah. The entire movie. I don't know where the hair gel came from. But... Correct me if I'm wrong, the very first shot of him, he is standing outside a building, and then something somewhere inside the building blows up. That's right. 
Did, was there any more information gleaned? For, did he kill somebody in that moment? I, I don't know. I, like, was I, it? I don't, I don't feel, my feeling is that he didn't kill anybody. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking it was like a school and he was like, just, it was kind of like vandalism for him. Okay. Cause I that's, was like, I didn't know. What I've like, made up in my head though. Okay. Yeah. I was like, did he just blow up like somebody's apartment? What just, cause it seemed like it was on like the second floor of a building. Doesn't matter. Anyway, it's an interesting way to introduce us to a young teenage character played by oh, yeah. John Cameron Mitchell. He goes home. Uh, his presumably sister is sitting on the front steps of a mobile home eating a waffle cone and inside uh, is a man severely beating uh, what I would only assume to be their mother and there's some good stunt work there at least because man it looked like those slaps uh, connected and you feel them and uh, John Cameron Mitchell quietly silently pulls a gun on the man and he says, go ahead, shoot me. I dare you. Blammo. He shoots him. Goes back outside, sits down beside his sister, waits for the cops to come. So that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got Carlos, who is played by Danny Quinn, which you may recall from the tee-up. He and Lauren Holly had a thing, and it did not end well. No, and this movie doesn't help that at all. It does not. Yeah, it was a little uncomfortable watching that, I, I will say. But so he's in a car, and he is sort of the handsomest of the group, I think you would you would say. I mean, he's right. designed to be that. Uh, he's got the Miami Vice look. He is Cub- much. Cuban. I think we meet him. He's in a Porsche with Lauren Hawley. She puts like a bump of cocaine on her hand. He leans over, hits it. And then they just make out like every time they kiss, it's like, oh my God, no wonder these people got married, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. no wonder it ended poorly. Uh, <laughs> all you got all that from a kiss. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, wow. it just it was a lot yeah. going on. There was a lot going on in the mouth. Hmm. And keep in mind, these are teenagers too. Like the characters they are playing are teenagers. Yeah. So he goes inside uh, some building to make a drug deal, and it turns out to be an FBI sting. Um, Lauren Holly takes off in the Porsche, gets shot at, but fortunately does not get hit. And you got Al Shannon, who played a character that went by the name Rattler, uh, although his, his credit name is Dorsey. And we meet him. He's breaking out of a detention center of some kind, which, I mean, that's a pretty cool way to introduce character, right? Yeah. I did think it was kind of comical because he's climbing over the fence they got barbed wire up there. The cops are on his tail, or the guards are on his tail. And he jumps over the fence from the top, hurts his legs, and, you know, the, the guards just unlock the gate and walk, walk out. And then yeah. there they are. They're on top of him. Uh, so anyway, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, those are our guys. They're then thrown into a juvenile detention center. And keep in mind, yeah, this is all, like, within, like, five minutes, man. All of this has happened. The tensions between the two gang leaders... Moss and Ruben are continuing throughout. John Cameron Mitchell continues to wear sunglasses mm-hmm. in the detention center. I don't I'm surprised they let him bring them bring them, but they did. And they're all kind of gathered up, thrown into a single cell, and the next thing you know, we're in the back of a vehicle where they're handcuffed to a bar running down the middle. I loved that. I mean, that was, I don't know. I've never seen one of those vehicles like that, right? No, yeah. Um, So they're kind of right on top of each other. Ruben and Moss are still going at it. 
I believe John Cameron, John Cameron Mitchell growls or howls at one point. Yeah. In this, he doesn't say a word for quite a while in this movie and just yeah. makes animal noises, which is kind of fun. And they are taken out to the Everglades. You get your fantastic cut to the giant fan boat. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen this before, I don't think, with one of these, where you're really going through the reeds and these kids are sitting in the front and like, you can tell it hurts, right? I mean, I think yeah. they even say something about it. Like, well, they're getting... all like, yeah, they're all like ducking from it. And, yeah. And all the cops are just like, Meh. Yep. They go out. They're thrown off the boat, basically. Or if you're John Cameron Mitchell, you just dive right into the water because you're crazy. <laughs> and uh, they are left seemingly on their own. Yeah. Moss nearly kills Ruben. Or do I have it backwards in that moment? It doesn't matter. They're fighting throughout. I mean, that. Uh, well, yeah, he's got him under the water. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Got him under the water. About to kill him. And then enters Tonto. <laughs> and I love that. I love the way they shot that intro. It's great. He yeah. just comes storming out of the woods, and you kind of have a shot of each character as he, as he walks by him and then into the water and grabs those two guys and throws them away, throws them apart. How about you describe Stephen Lang? They do call him Tonto. I mean, that's not, he's supposed to be, I think, Native American, a part Native American. Uh, right. His character's name is credited as Joe, um, and they call him that quite a bit, but there's a great yeah. line that involves that. Describe Stephen Lang for the people in this movie. So, Stephen Lang, uh, he's got his black hair, jet black hair, slicked back. So slick, man. Yeah, he's got, and I mean, it, unfailingly slick. It yeah. It's going straight back no matter what, and then... He's got he's got sort of the Rambo black band around the mm-hmm. the the top like kind of the rim of the hair there, keeping everything uh, in place. Um, almost looks like a hairnet, but not quite. No. And then and then he's he's in what originally I thought was like sort of the karate uniform, but all black. Yeah, I you know, think it's he's, more he's like a mercenary. In, yeah soldier you know a fortune uniform kind of thing like yeah yeah he's he's definitely in a in something that like allows him pretty fair movement yep yeah and he's our he's our survivalist he maybe talks slightly more than john cameron mitchell but only by a hairline fraction right yeah and usually just like one word at a time <laughs> yeah it was great i thought it was really interesting i did find myself thinking man like I'm surprised I haven't done a reality show that is this exact movie. Mm-hmm. You just take kids from juvie and like basically do Survivor, but with yeah. uh, delinquents. Maybe that gets into some weird legal. <laughs> well, I, I think they there, do. Huh? I think in real life there are things like. I mean, that, yeah, there? there's like Outward Bound and you know variations right. of that. I, I think that are intended for that sort of thing, not in like the Everglades, probably, with right. a guy who just has a knife and looks like he's ready to kill. Oh, he's ready to kill. You know, so yeah, he he comes into the scene basically and tells them this is it. There is no facility that they're going to. They've got supplies hanging up over there, and he says, you know, suggests they sort of make make themselves comfortable. Basically, they've got a sharp knife, like some pots and pans, and not much else. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit of that stuff that I think you would expect. Of you know, they're completely inept at doing anything for themselves other than trying to kill each other right initially and slowly he makes his mark upon them and from teaching them you know 
how to light a fire, how to catch fish, and all the stuff. I feel like I've seen a million times in different things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think they handled that really well. Like it didn't, yeah. it it wasn't a chore. It wasn't boring. And it, it just wasn't like completely cliche. And I don't know if that's just these characters, I guess, or just them choosing to show just like just enough of that, like what you needed. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you on that. I mean, really, it's it is handled really well in the fact that that you wouldn't believe this. It's very it's a it's a hard enough thing to believe. Right. They're going to take these guys and, and turn them into a team. Uh, and that's only half the movie. So that that's not even like the end of the movie when they're actually a team. It's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, how exactly? I don't know. Like ev- everyone's very committed to it. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. You generally have some some good actors there and it's a pretty light hand. It's not, you know. Well, that's the thing because we, we know nothing about these people, these kids. Yeah, other besides than, their criminal background. Yeah, other than what we've seen them do that got them arrested. Like that's right. it. And in yeah. fact, Rattler, do we ever know what he did? No, I don't think he ever said. Yeah, I mean, aside from that, you you really don't know much about them other than, you know, Carlos is sort of longing and concerned about Lauren Holly, about her yeah. character. So I don't know. I just thought that stuff's done well, you know, and maybe it's just one of these things where it that's it, it's it's always kind of going to be interesting to take people completely out of their element and just do that fish out of water thing and and do right. it in this tone where it is light, it's moving, they're likable enough, or at least you're like, you know, rooting for them to get their shit together, I guess. Yeah. And uh, you got this mysterious dude in black uh, just traipsing in and out every now and then when it works and, uh, you know, saying exactly as much as needed and just knowing that he's he's the man, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was cool. But inevitably kids you know they get sick of this they uh they start planning alternative ways of of doing things and one morning rattler makes a break for it yeah you've seen this movie a bunch of times how does this rattlesnake scene work for you seeing it again man it it, it actually works really well right okay good because this is the most obvious thing right down to the fact that his damn name he gets called that at some point you know and he's got a snake he's got a tattoo of the don't tread on me snake on his arm and sure right. enough, like, yeah, he's running through the swamp. Stephen Lang has gone after him. He, like, falls down. Mm-hmm. And then you hear the rattle. And it's, like, the way they shot it, it's all close up. You know it's coming, right? Yeah. I, I mean, there was not a second where I did not think he was going to get bit. And sh- Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. But the way I still flinched when it happened. Um, yeah. And that's just the way he shot it, I think, right? Yeah, I, I it, yeah, it was shot really well. Um, I was gonna say like the the bite itself, the actual like when the bite happened, yeah, was was the only part where it kind of took me out. Yeah, I mean, because like otherwise it was great. Yeah, yeah like like he, he picks his head up, and then you can see like past his head, you know, and then you see there's a snake on the other side, and he's like looking at it, and like that snake's, he's trying to move really slow, and the snake's yep. just watching him, and it's like oh shit. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's but, almost like Indiana Jones business a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I love too that. So Lang is you know seconds behind, and he comes upon the scene, scene, and there's yeah you got uh, Al Shannon laying on the ground on his back, still struggling with the snake. Like the snake is just not giving up attacking. Which I don't know if that would be the case or not, but 
<laughs> so he's right. like holding this snake. And uh, I can't remember if Stephen Lane grabbed it then or at any rate, it gets his head cut off by a machete. Yeah. And that didn't look very much like a prop to me, but prop, I'm just going to assume it is. And uh, yeah, that, we'll call that, it a that'd day. be a pretty good prop. Yeah. yeah so I don't know yeah. if snakes perhaps were harmed in the making of this movie, but uh, you know, it's a rattlesnake, so who cares, right? <laughs> That's right. Good attitude. Now, here, here's where the only moment maybe in this whole sequence, half of the movie, where maybe they were moving a little too quickly for me. Lang comes back into camp. He's got uh, Rattler draped over his shoulder. He's got the dead carcass of the snake because, you know, he's going to dry out the skin and everything because why not? You know, you don't want to waste it. Brings it back to camp. They very, very quickly gloss over the fact that I think he must have had anti-venom on him mm-hmm. and gave it to this kid. I still don't I should ask my wife this, but it said he got he got tagged twice, right, by the snake. Yeah. I mean, did you just not you don't have any other like react I mean, he was like comatose and then he right. comes to and everybody's relieved, but there was no like lingering like he didn't swell yeah, up I mean, or anything where he was bit, like I don't know, I just felt like uh, I was like was that I wonder what the reality of that is as far as like the recovery time for that. No, that's true. I mean, I, I don't know. And that's, yeah, that, that would probably have really derailed our movie. Yeah. At that point. Uh, I just thought, you know, okay, he's going to be more or less incapacitated for a day. Right. Right. You know, or, or something like they're going to have to like, they've got dead weight now. It's like having a, a wounded soldier right. to carry along the theme. Not exactly. His, his recovery is pretty quick, so yeah, that's good. You know, I, I'm an, I will just assume that that is exactly what happens if you get bitten by a rattlesnake. You just get two shots, you're good to go. Boom! It's like oh, it never man. happened. Yeah, I feel a lot better about going out <laughs> outside into the now. Everglades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should. I'll just drop you off. You want to go? Yeah, no okay, problem. Let's go do it tomorrow. Well, it, it's in this area that we get our first sort of cut out of our main group. And I thought it was an interesting decision to do it here. And also it took me out of it a little bit, but it, I want to talk about this as far as when we get to the end of this sequence and about the idea that this was originally a pilot, but we are cutting then to Lauren Holly, her character, Nikki. And she goes to James Remar who plays, uh, Nestor, mm-hmm. Nestor Quintana. He's the bad man. He is the drug <laughs> kingpin of Miami. As far as we can tell. You know, I don't. I don't. We don't need to get into the motivations of this character, Lauren. I mean, she's 16. She ends up at the guy's house. He's sitting there watching TV, just a plate of coke by his side, and she comes in and she's asking about Carlos. Has he seen him? You know, she's gone to the detention center. He's not there. All they know is he's not there and he's been removed. He asks her how old she is. She says 16. He then very coldly says, uh, "He's sure he can find Carlos." but wants her to go upstairs and take her clothes off. And like, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Uh, she, I think says something else or doesn't say anything. And he repeats his request and it is played as creepily as you can imagine it. And she walks out of that room and heads for the stairs. And I kind of thought, okay, well that that's it, right? That's end of your scene. It is not end of the scene. She goes upstairs alone She's into a very, very dark room and backs against the wall into some sort of secret door where she opens it and we get some black light, you know, coming in there. 
And you describe this room to me because I'm still still trying to play catch up a little bit with this particular storyline in this movie. Uh, yeah. So she goes and there's a, there's a room that just has this, yeah, this, I guess it is a black light, right? I mean, it kind of has that, it's like a blue light it's, coming it's in. It's very so blue. Yeah. And so, so she opens it. So she's in the room and she's like, uh, maybe this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But then she looks in the, in the, in the voodoo closet and sees. Okay. That's what I was trying to figure out what you would possibly call it. Voodoo. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely seems like a voodoo altar of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. There's a dead so, chicken in there for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Some bones, some candles. Which which is kind of set up for later, I guess. Yeah, I, to yeah. okay. Well, I'm going to need some I, help I, with I don't that know too. But how yeah. that pays off. But yeah. Okay. But then, so then she immediately sits down and starts unbuttoning her shirt. Uh, I'm assuming because she's like, I'm up against yeah, forces Evil that are forces. too big for me. So really bad. And one thing I was going to ask, and, and I actually didn't go back to look, although I should, because it seemed at the end of that, we have this side shot of her as she's unbuttoning this shirt. And I could have sworn there's a, a tear falls down her face. Yeah. And that tear, at least when I was watching it, kind of looked like it was animated. Oh, wow. Am I completely crazy? It, it looked real to me, but uh, yeah, who knows? Now I want to go back and see. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm going to. She would have been fired if she couldn't get that single tear, right? Oh, forget about it. Yeah. In the world of Michael Mann, all tears are real. <laughs> yes, they are. You, you don't get a break. Well, they probably just showed her all the like dead chickens and like you know rattlesnake heads they had you know chopped yeah. up. And she was. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll say this. It was a weird moment that took me out a little bit. It was not expecting any sort of voodoo angle whatsoever here. But again, the way they shot it, it is uncomfortable and like what it needs to be, I think. It is, it felt like Michael, like Manhunter Michael Mann a little bit in a way. You know, it it has a just like dark, like really evil vibe to it. And this yeah. poor soul that's caught up in here. It, it was an interesting choice. It was an interesting choice. Do you remember what song was playing during that scene? Because I was like, oh, this is a cool song. I don't know what it is, but was that the one where they were where they were playing Faded Flowers? That sounds appropriate, but I don't. I don't know. Yes, Faded Flowers. Faded Flowers. Faded Flowers. Pretty good song. That's a cool. Pretty song. good song. It works yeah. well for that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're back to the Everglades after this mm-hmm. one little trip away from it. Uh, there's some chasing of a boar, which, boar chase, you know, maybe. you got to uh, tip your hat to Lord of the Flies there. Why not? I love sure. that uh, the guys, of course, are scared of it at first, even though they come into the scene like they're badasses. Their clothes yeah. just get like they just continue to disintegrate while they're in the <laughs> air. They, they just get smaller. They're really? And smaller. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, they go from wearing pants to, to then just look like diapers, you know, for a couple of the guys. It's interesting. Nonetheless, yeah. you know. Uh, they do catch this boar. Cut to ribs on a on a campfire, which I thought was great. It made me laugh. And uh, you know, not long after this, Stephen Lang says, "Exam time. Destination is marked. If you track me, you should get out alive." Hands him a map and a compass. I do think that's the most he said all movie at that point. <laughs> and uh, he disappears into the night. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I love that. That's so cool. It was badass, right? Yeah. And, you know, now it's it's put up or shut up for these kids, and they got to get their way out of there. 
There's more fighting going on between the two gang leaders until John Cameron Mitchell turns and yells at them to stop. And finally, he speaks instead of growls and grunts for the first time. And here's where, I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of ridiculous, but it, it got a little bit into the sentimental thing somewhat or just out of the what I think was norm for any sort of like natural acting. Right. He's like, if we don't learn to live, we're going to die like Joe said. So come on, man. He starts crying. Right. Come on, man. It was great. I mean, I loved it. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was great. Uh, on their way to get out of, getting out of there, they had to sleep one night. They were awoken by a black bear. I liked uh, the realism of that, the sound effects they used. Next thing you know, they run into a panther. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about that. I mean, you know, the the the. I mean, is that is that a is that true? Black bears in the Everglades. Bears in, in the Everglades. I mean, I really don't know. Like, I have. I kind of felt like they they wandered into a zoo or something. Yeah, it looked a little like bit like it. Been. Yeah, the panther was kind of a non-event, but uh, nonetheless, it looked cool. It kind of accepted them. It did. It's like, oh, you are also children of the jungle. And soon they hear music and they come to an area where there's an outdoor feast of some kind going on. And uh, there's a very 70s looking band playing mm-hmm. some rock and roll. And, you know, while they're helping themselves to food, there they notice Joe sitting on the hood of a pickup. And they walk over, excited to see him, and he tells them, I got us a house, program's moving to Miami. And then he walks off, doesn't say another word, his back's to camera. That's got to be the end of the pilot, right? I would assume so, yeah. And it's rare to have a movie like this that it you know just has like distinct halves. But yeah. uh, that was about as distinct as you could get, I thought. And I loved that sequence. I mean, the shot was cool. The whole sort of setting there, I thought, was neat. Like it, I mean... I don't know. They felt like indigenous people of some kind, uh, yeah. you know. So I, I don't know what exactly was going on. They're just having a party or what. But uh, it was a cool scene for those guys to come out on in the night and looking like, uh, you know, straight up weirdos coming out of some rave in the in the Everglades. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's your first half of the movie, and then the second half, I enjoyed it. It's fun. If I had to pick a favorite, I'm going first half. Yeah. Does that make me a bad person? No, not at all. That the, the first half definitely feels, I guess, a little more authentic. I don't know. But yeah. Well, uh, part of my problem with the second half, I think, is just understanding the nature of their situation. So right. we know that Joe has bought a house, which is basically a dump. I mean, it is a junky slum that yeah. has like that, you know, Art Deco facade from long, long ago, but in bad disarray. And they show up there. He says he bought it for a dollar from the city. And uh, they had the rights to it for a year. They go inside and quickly discover that, you know, no, there's junkies squatting in there. There's Haitian refugees, I think, in, living in there, like a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, man. I just, like, I didn't understand exactly, like, what the situation, <laughs> like, they, so that the kids couldn't leave or, or, or what exactly, like, what the scenario Right. Was entirely because, like, nobody's got clothes or a bag or anything with them, I think. And yet, you know, they they change clothes. And again, John. They all have different clothes. Yeah, John Cameron Mitchell wears, like, 12 different pairs of sunglasses between now and the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. And they're all, like, equally awesome. But (laughs) 
I don't know. It's just, you know, they don't seem to have jobs. You know, I, I think the the message of it is was very clear to me, you know, and Joe says, like, you know, we're starting here. We start with one house. We start with one park. We start with one street. You know, this is where the war is. Like, this is where yeah. it's happening is in the streets. And the city's turned its back on it. So, you know, we're going to, you know, make a difference here. And, and that's, you know, I'm going to change you kids kind of thing. And... That I mean, it's interesting enough, and it works on its own surface level, right? For sure. Any problem yeah. with that? But uh, yeah, I did. I don't know. I wouldn't have mind. There's one scene where Joe goes and talks to some sort of guy at a police department or some sort of governmental person, right? Mm-hmm. Asking about this program, and I just like there wasn't quite enough exposition in that moment for me to understand exactly like what the arrangement, I guess, was here i don't know that's just me yeah i mean it sounds like it sounds like basically he's trying to rehab problem youth sure right that seems to be his goal and i guess he's tried it before yeah which is what i thought the the whole everglades half you know i mean that is essentially what that was you know in a way but that was just a trip more or less right so i don't know it's a minor nitpick because what we get in the second half then is i mean basically war you know, yeah. from the moment they're in there, it seems like everyone outside of this house is dead set against them being there, which it, to me, it was like borderline comical at times. Just how many people were out there yelling at them and like yeah. pissed off at them for, for moving in here, which I didn't quite get. But I mean, <laughs> some of them were junkies, you know, and this was their turf, I guess, or, or right. there were other drug dealers. But uh, Lawrence Fishburne then rolls in in one moment in a very awesome white Rolls Royce convertible of some kind. Oh man, should we uh, we should describe his haircut a little bit? Yeah, he's so it's yeah it's I mean what 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 is that? It's not it's not a fade. Well, he's got like the vanilla ice lines kind of yeah. done like the thing, but they go all the way around on the sides and down and. Uh, I gotta say, I was expecting him to have a slightly bigger role in this. Yeah, you know, just knowing yeah. that uh, I, I don't know, I don't know a ton about his career between like Apocalypse Now and this. I guess um, true because it was a pretty big role in that movie. But I wonder, yeah, I wonder if, if this was a series. That's a good point. Yeah. Although spoiler, he dies in this movie. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lawrence Fishburne is basically a, a pusher for uh, Quintana. The uh, James Remar character and like this mm-hmm. is his neighborhood and he owns his neighborhood and you know it, it quickly becomes apparent that that's going to be an issue if these kids and Stephen Lang are staying there trying to paint this house and make it look good and, and keep the drugs off the street in their own way which mostly just involves painting the house and making it look good right yeah. <laughs> as far as I could tell is there a moment in between the ultimate showdown that fills extremely important plot wise to you oh man that's a good question i mean there's a good paintball sequence yep there's there's definitely there's definitely more training like yeah once they really have their their first sort of showdown with lawrence they do some more training they continue to restore that uh that house Mm -hmm. they enlist the uh the gangs to help paint the house too right yeah that was kind of funny yeah i like that sequence and that was, yeah, that was a great sequence too. Yeah, it's like everyone's kind of coming together. But, you know, actually, yeah, well before that, there's the bit where uh, Quinn, Carlos, 
goes and finds his lady. And there's kind of a little face-off with Nestor. Yeah, that was interesting. In the, in the lobby. Yeah. For starters, I swear, look, Lauren Holly looked like a completely different person. Yeah. Uh, like, And it looked like she dyed her eyebrows or something. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, I kind of wonder if it was like, like the first scene that she shot or something. Yeah. And after that, they're like, oh, we got to change Yeah, that. she looks very different than she did in the first half. I mean, also, like, we're under the impression that she's more or less been uh, James Remar's sex slave, I guess. More or less, yeah. I mean, she's 16, and this is her apartment. Yeah. Like, right there, I'm like, there. that's numerous red flags. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Carlos and Nestor do have words, I think, in the lobby of this building. You know, he more or less makes Lauren Holly pick sides. And, of course, she goes to Nestor because she's just scared to death, mostly. Yeah. But Carlos gets his feelings hurt by that. After, by the way, uh, he had punched a like one of those frosted glass cinder blocks, <laughs> which I, I yeah. liked that a lot. That was kind of funny. Okay, well, let's mention this while we're on the topic of it. You know, it's implied that they have sex in that scene, Carlos and Nikki. And, uh, I mean, it, you don't see anything. It kind of feels okay for the era, but man, I was just like, that's a weird choice for this movie at this point to be showing a sex scene with, I mean, it feels like sex would be the last thing that she would want to do with anybody. You know, if she's been yeah. held captive by, <laughs> by this drug, for sure. Thing. But yeah, what do I know about anything, dude? This is not a, it's not a feminist film. Probably not. Let's say that. Probably not. Although she does <laughs> yeah, get her I mean, comeuppance. I mean, you know, ultimately. She, she, she does get to, yeah, she does get her, Revenge, her, her yeah. time to shine. But man, I mean, it is like she's 16. She goes looking for a boyfriend mm-hmm. at the biggest drug pin in town. Ends up being essentially raped by him constantly. And then when Carlo shows back up, he's like, you're fucking him, you know? Yeah. And gets slapped around. It's, it's not cool. No. And I, I mean, you know. there's a moment where she's on Nestor's yacht and yeah. kind, I mean, oh, you could yeah. read into that, that she's sort of enjoying the life of luxury. I mean, she's hanging out in bikini yeah. and sunbathing. I mean, I don't, you know, I guess what else are you going to do if you're in that position? Right. But uh, anyway, um, it is in that scene on that yacht scene where basically where Quintana, you know, basically lays down the hammer for Lawrence Fishburne to take these kids out of that neighborhood. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, one night, that's exactly what they try to do. They show up and, dude, it is like the untouchables. There are machine guns going off so much. (laughs) They just open fire on this house. And, you know, because uh, Stephen Lang had apprehended Fishburne, the first, you know, interaction they had, and they took all their guns, they do have like this cachet of, of machine guns themselves. Yeah, which is nice because then all of our teenage heroes can go out and murder some people. Oh yeah, uh, in this big, huge street brawl. Again, it's as ridiculous as the day is long, but it, it was—I don't know—it worked. It was kind of cool, <laughs> you know. It was... Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it 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 worked. I mean, you knew you knew what uh, what was going down. Yeah, you know what's at stake. You know that yeah. there's not like an entire army of bad guys coming in. They're just nameless, faceless, getting picked off, you know? I mean, there's a few of Fishburne's guys, but not, you know, we're not in, like, commando numbers or anything like that. Right. And uh, at the end of the day... It ends, unfortunately, with Fishburne and Stephen Lang shooting each other exact same moment and killing each other. Yeah. 
And I'm kind of down with like everything that happened after that dude, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um, Lauren Holly was there, you know, Carlos had gotten her out of there. Mm-hmm. They go and they sort of have at least some sort of funeral ritual on the edge of the Everglades with some of those people who are, I think were at that like party, that feast party uh, yeah. that Lang was at. And that it's just shot really cool. You know, nobody says a word. You get what yep. you need to get out of that. And then, you know, they have their discussion and they regroup. They go through Joe's stuff. You finally find out why the movie is called Band of the Hand. It's because that's what he and a group of soldiers and Nam called themselves. You know, it was like five fingers to the hand. They all have a, a part to play to support the, the whole, right? The unit. Yeah. You know, the house has been completely wrecked. Lauren Holly, I think, I think, notices some of the markings and spray paint or blood on the wall and brings up the fact that Nestor is into black magic. Uh, right. Ruharia is the word that they throw around. Yeah. I had to rewind that because I wanted, I knew I heard black magic, but I wanted to make sure I heard it completely and clearly because, and that could have been, that could have been a series thing for sure that they were setting up. That would have been kind of interesting to delve into with the Nestor character. Yeah. Like just exactly what is he into? Sadly, I think those were the only two moments of it, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. But Carlos is like, Nestor's the man. Let's take the man down. And uh, the band of the hand, this band of the hand, is formed. They're committed. And they go out to get him. Yes, they do. They, they come up with quite a plan. They do, and I want to talk about that. But I want to also like tip my hat to the movie again for choosing this moment to then in, in, you know, inject a little bit of levity because uh, they stop at a hardware store, and John Cameron Mitchell and Lauren Holly go in, and I think she's pretending to be his mom. His jacket is out of control. It's like in a, you know, an entire <laughs> panel of a, some comic book just yeah. blown up. It's extremely large. And... They're buying all these things, and you've got a guy behind the counter. The clerk finally is ringing this up and says, what are you doing with all this stuff anyway? And John Cameron Mitchell feeds some BS line. You know, He's got this whole thing about go, we need to go for gas for this, and if this happens, you know, we're making garden, this, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, you know, that clerk looks at him and says, we don't have gophers here. You must be thinking about armadillos, you know. And then launches into this whole improv bit, I'm assuming, about <laughs> yeah. armadillos. It's it was ridiculous. Good. It was good. It was physical. What you got to do is like, you got to cut their motors, basically, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just take them right out, you know? Sort of sort of akin to uh, to Bill Murray. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it made me laugh. It was a nice little moment there. But it is setting up this final showdown, which, yeah, I want to ask you about. But it takes place out in the middle of nowhere, basically, and... There is literally a fortress set up where they're making drugs. And what do we got? 30 armed men, at least, I would say, protecting this building. And I did not know, I didn't understand how they ended up there or why, why they chose that as their, their option for killing Nestor, as opposed right. to just... Well, they know kind of where he lives, right? Because Lauren Holly does. I mean, surely there's an easier way <laughs> to get the guy. I would imagine. You would think. 
But they want to they, they want to take down the whole operation. Yeah, that that part makes sense to me. Can't just be yeah. taking him down. Yeah. yeah, I mean it works there. But I was just like, man, I don't I don't know about that. But yeah. uh, you know, this was yeah, this was like red dawn to me. This satisfied that '80s itch that I, I needed to scratch with this movie, and uh, it I don't know. I thought it delivered. You know, yeah, you got all these guys. I don't think we really lose track of any of them. You know, John Cameron Mitchell goes off to dump this gopher gas or whatever this repellent is into the vents that goes down to the underground lab, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got Carlos is up on some sort of tower with his machine gun. You've got um, Ruben and I guess Ruben and Moss and Rattler are all kind of running around, right? Yeah. I don't know. They're, you know, providing They're... cover and, and everything. And, uh, yeah, another war just completely unfolds. There was a, a nice bit where, on top of this fortress, uh, it was revealed that there was actually a Gatling gun of sorts mm-hmm. behind a, a little contraption. thought that was cool. Yeah. They didn't know. Yeah, they weren't expecting that. Weren't expecting that, but then you get the obligatory moment where John Cameron Mitchell was able to run up in close and uh, drop some sort of explosive into that. Mm-hmm. And escape mm-hmm. unharmed, and uh, ultimately they they make it go kablooey, but not before Nestor gets out. Only who does he run into, Craig? Ultimately, Nestor runs into Lauren Holly, and she's holding a hot shotgun, mm. and she is uh, well. I wouldn't say she's not afraid to use it, but uh, she's hesitant. Mm. There's a lot of there's a lot of things going on behind her eyes, and Nestor actually tries to take it from her very slowly. And then she just point blank blows 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 him wide open. Yep, he's dead. And that's a, uh, it's pretty satisfying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, it was the right choice to let her do it. You know, I think sure. that would have been incomplete if he had died some other way, which I wasn't sure. I mean, yeah. I, I I definitely was not like a guarantee that that was going to happen for right, me. Right. Right. But then, man, I just loved like how they left that. You know, because they're in Joe's truck which has got this like open top thing to going on mm-hmm. and they're all in there. It's night. It's quiet. They've just done this thing. They truly are the band of the hand. And then there's a roadblock and we see the cops. And uh, again, man, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Like is the movie book ending with these guys getting thrown back into juvie somehow, but no, they keep it much simpler. Cop asks where the hell they're going. And one of them says, uh, going to Miami. And I, didn't one of them say something about we're going to jam or something? We're going to jam. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. And he just, he just says, uh, yeah, well, take it easy on the beer. Gives them a look and sends them on their way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Cue uh, Bob Dylan, I think, again. That's right. Yeah. Bob Dylan brings it all back around. And, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. We've talked about it before, but the satisfying ending does you a lot of good. A lot of goodwill. It sure does. And it sure does. I think, you know, for all the moments that I'm just like, this is so ridiculous, mm-hmm. it never completely lost me and just satisfied, you know, all the stuff that I wanted it to satisfy, I guess. It was weird enough yeah. that it, it mm-hmm. you know, made me ask some questions and left maybe some loose threads, but at least it was, uh, at least it was unique because of that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything we didn't cover that you would like to, to mention, Craig. A couple of things I want to cover. One of them is a larger point, 
which is, and it, it was true of Miami Vice too. And it's at the time, it's just funny when, when, you know, when I was a kid, I just assumed that, that some of this was actually how the world worked in some way. Okay. Um, for instance, which part, uh, uh, yeah. when, La- when Lauren Holly goes into Nestor's house for the first time, yeah. Nestor is watching nine TVs that are all showing the same thing. Yeah. And somewhere in my head, I was like, this is something that people do. Yeah, man. Someone would have nine televisions stacked, and they're sitting on the couch watching them. That's what they're doing. By themselves, watching nine TVs. <laughs> and, yeah. And, 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 and I, so the larger point being, I love the completely outlandish design of a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like John Cameron Mitchell's costume like a lot of people's costumes oh, man. honestly God. i mean uh moss's costume too is just like who like no one on earth ever dressed like no this. like not 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 these kinds of characters i started uh, i guess that's yeah. what i'm saying i started yeah. to write down a description of what he was wearing and i just gave up like i, I honestly just gave because yeah. it's like a part football jersey yeah and then there's ropes involved and right and like if you're not a costume design student somewhere there's no you don't have clothes like yeah, this. And you don't have the vocabulary you're, to describe clothes like that. <laughs> right. You're not, you're definitely not in a gang. Yeah. And like, I mean, the, but the gangs were crazy looking. Like they looked yeah. amazing. And it's like, it was like, uh, it was kind of a letdown whenever you see the junkies because they all just look like normal people. Like all the junkies are just like in t-shirts and jeans. And you're like, yeah. Oh, no. Those poor junkies. Like everyone else is completely, completely out to lunch. So. That was one thing I really liked. The other thing is I wanted to ask you about how confident would you feel about the uh, dog and heat gambit that's used uh, when they are uh, sneaking oh, into call. Nestor's compound? Yeah, so we established that Nestor's compound has some highly trained and motivated killer Doberman, as any yeah. good compound does. <laughs> yes. I was curious about what the hell was happening because – uh, they bring a dog with them, these kids do. And I was like, well, whose dog was that? I missed that part. Yeah. Sure enough, no it turns out to be a bitch in heat. They set it loose, and here come the dogs, the Dobermans, and they follow this dog out of the fence into the woods. I, I'm, I can only imagine what happened to that poor dog again. Yeah, none, none of that made me feel Dude, very good. I would be uh, not confident at all that that is no. that that would completely distract them i mean right i've seen the uh you bring them some steak bit before too sure. many times so th- sure. i haven't seen this one before i'll say that much absolutely at some point somebody was like can we do something other than yeah raw meat steaks for the but i mean there it's, there's like 27 dobermans <laughs> like i feel like it would work on maybe two of them yeah. and then like the other ones are gonna be like wait we got a job to do yeah. so all right not so highly trained i guess but those those were uh, those are the only other things I was going to talk about. What about you? Nothing else other than I think you got one of these movies here, Craig, that I think absolutely deserves to be seen more than it has, you know, especially in context of everything else that was being made at this time, and and how this kind of fits into those things and some of those tropes uh, enough that it satisfies it, but still feels unique to me. And it was nice for me, at least, not knowing a ton of Stephen Lang roles. Maybe I've seen some and just didn't realize it. He's not over the top at all in this thing. And that sounds crazy to say because of who his character is. Mm -hmm. But he's really playing this thing pretty darn straight and reserved. Yeah, he is. 
I liked it a lot. I thought it was a really cool role to see him in this. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is, yeah, like, it's stuff like this. And that's just why this guy has a career for as long as he has had one, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, he was yeah. good. And even, you know, we read some of the reviews, and it seemed like they were ripping on Paul Michael Glazer, but I don't know. I mean, even if it's Michael Mann's style that he's using, it still looks cool. It's still stylish, you know? Yeah. It doesn't feel yeah. incompetent. It doesn't feel boring. And it was never, like, spatially confusing or any of that stuff to me as far as how this movie was put together. So I thought he did a, a perfectly fine job here. He really did. He really did. So I would say go watch this movie. I see right now that it's available to rent on Amazon Prime oh, and yeah. hopefully elsewhere. Hopefully not in standard def. We watched high def. That looked pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this uh, this high def one that we watched, I think, is like the the file that's out there now. So. Gotcha. I think it's it's yep. Yeah, it's one to check out. It is one to check out. Thank you, Craig. Uh, Sean, you're very welcome. It's the least I could. Will do. you be in my band of the hand? Of course. Well, we only have two fingers. I was going to say hand. we got to find three other people that might be tough. Yeah, that might it's not be easy. Don't just don't be in a rush to do anything with our band of the hand. Okay, uh, that's all I'm saying. I won't. No. All no, right. Cool. Uh, do you have a favorite performance? We'll leave it at that. Outside of Stephen Lang, uh, which one of your kids, uh, your teens? I I, I think uh, James Cameron Mitchell is is awesome. Oh God, I completely forgot to mention he has a tattoo around his belly button in this movie. That's like the outline of a bug or something. Ridiculous. Oh wow, yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that, but nice nice catch. What about you? I rather liked both Leon and the Al Shannon character. I don't know, even though Al Shannon's shoulders were so hairy that it distracted me many a time but uh it's a hairy job yeah i didn't know those guys uh i don't i didn't know their work so uh, yeah i thought they were kind of cool they they fit their roles well yeah it was a good group they got a good group together i agree we have talked enough craig any last words uh nothing man just go and jam you know what i mean let's jam all right y'all let's jam we'll talk next time bye-bye okay